Amen. Well, thanks for uh, the vacation that I was able to have over the last little while. My name's Andrew, because I think there have been several uh, visitors, actually, that I haven't met. And uh, I love to come back from my July break and meet the new people. Um, but it's a lot of work sometimes, because there's, there's a number of you. And so just grateful for uh, that opportunity. Uh, we'd love to meet you after worship today, if I haven't yet, if you're new. But uh, I'm one of the pastors, and I have been on two weeks of study leave and then two weeks of vacation. So I was around for a couple of those weeks on Sundays, but not preaching. And then uh, we were here for one week, and then we went down to San Diego uh, for one week, which is where I'm from. Spent a lot of time at the beach, which is great. In fact, I'm not ready to give up the beach yet, so um, got the sandals going still. Um, see how long that lasts. Um, and, and spent some time with my parents, and it was really great to be with them and support them a little bit. Uh, one of the highlights of the time was to go to the beach that my mom originally took me to when I was one and a half years old. She's now 79, and I was able to take her into the water, and uh, she was game to get on the bodyboard, age 79. So we got out in the waves, and she caught about 20 waves or so uh, on the bodyboard. It was pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, way, yeah, way to go, Mom. She, she kept saying, one more, one more. So it was, it was a really sweet moment. Um, so thankful for that break and refreshment, but happy to be back. Um, thankful also to the teachers who uh, filled the pulpit while I was gone, uh, Ryan, and I was here for some of these, and, and Miguel with the uh, album release, and Pastor Dante, and Lauren, and Martin, so grateful for all of you. I heard some of those, I heard three of those, but there's two I still need to listen to, so I'm excited to hear, learn about Sabbath in particular. Um, which is something that I can never get too much learning of, and I hope you as well. So um, wanna, I'll start off with a question this morning, and um, I've got to put my glasses on here, so I make sure to get this question exactly how I, I wrote it out. This is my question, and we're going to be grappling with this over the next few weeks. How does a community preserve core beliefs, handle different differences, and maintain unity? How does a community preserve core beliefs, handle differences, and maintain unity. And the gospel has an answer for how we do that. It's a really important thing. Don't, if you think about our world today and all that's happening, isn't this really important to be able to, to maintain unity, to hold on to what really matters, and then also to handle differences? We all, we, no matter how hard we try, we're always going to see things differently from some, to some degree. And so how do we handle those differences? And the passage that we're looking at helps us to, to learn how the gospel wants to come right to the center of that challenge and make it possible for us to hold on to core beliefs, to handle differences, and maintain unity. And so I'm excited over these next few weeks to sort of sit, marinate in this passage, and to try and learn together what does it mean to be the kind of community that holds on to what's important, handles differences, and then maintains unity. And uh, this is so important. It's going to manifest itself in our families as we, you know, do life together. Uh, it's going to manifest itself in our home groups, right? Home group is where we oftentimes really get to know each other, and it's in getting to know each other that the differences surface. So we have to figure out how do we, how do we navigate those differences in that home group setting. And, uh, and then as a larger church, uh, how do we navigate this challenge together and wherever we're gathered? And my hope and prayer is that as we grow in this, that we would be a countersign to what's happening so often in our world, which is that when people disagree, they just separate. They don't know how to handle the, the differences. 
Uh, and so uh, wouldn't it be great if God, by his amazing power, could use us to be a kind of a countersign to that as we allow the gospel to shape the way that we live together, to embrace the gospel and the power that it has. And, and I also want to invite those of you, I know some of you might be here with us this morning, and you wouldn't necessarily say that you're a follower of Jesus. You know, we've been singing some things, and, and you've been thinking, well, I don't know if I agree with that. That's great for you to just be with us and, and, and have that freedom to kind of process is what we really hope for and want for you. And I, I, I would hope that as we look and see how the gospel shapes community, this might be part of, of how you come to understand what the Christian faith is really about. And this might be part of the appeal for you of Jesus, when you see the power of Jesus to help us navigate these difficulties. Um, so that's my hope and, and prayer for us. So with that, would you open up to Acts 15, verse 1. Acts 15, verse 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll pass one to you. We want you to be able to follow along in the text. It's on page 538 in the Bible that we hand out. Acts 15, verses 1 through 21 is what we're going to be looking at. And as you look that up, uh, let me give you a little bit of background so that you can hopefully get your bearings. Sometimes when you jump into these texts, if you don't have a concept of what's happening, it just the words flow right over you and you don't, you don't really you know, engage with it. So let me say a few things that are going to help you engage with this text. This is a really famous passage. Acts 15 is very famous. It's sort of the first dispute that ever happened in the church. And so how do they resolve it? And it's in the resolving of it that we're going to learn so many lessons. And this dispute is over the scope of grace. The scope, like the extent of grace. How awesome is grace? How far does it reach? That's the question that they're asking uh, in this first sort of debate that they have. Now, you have to understand this happens in two places. So I'm going to put up a map for you. Uh, and in the red circle, you can see the two places where this passage takes place. First of all, you've got Antioch, which is up towards the top there. And then you've got Jerusalem down towards the bottom. It's about 300, 330 so miles between those two. And there's going to be a delegation going from Antioch to Jerusalem. Well, there's first of all going to be people going to Jer from Jerusalem to Antioch to teach something that creates controversy. Then they're going to send a delegation back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the epicenter of the Christian faith at this time, and they're going to try to solve this dispute, this de debate, this controversy that they're having back in Jerusalem. So that's the movement in this text. So there's two places, and there's two people, two kinds of people that I want you to, to know about as you read this. First of all, there's the Jewish believers, and, and what I'm referring, all of these people are believers in Jesus at this time. So they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're what we, we would call Christians. But some of them are of a Jewish background, and some of them are of a Gentile background. And you need to understand, for those Jewish believers, they have spent their entire life steeped in Judaism. And there's all kinds of um, important elements to their culture that are near and dear to their hearts. And then you take the Gentiles, who haven't had any of that, and... And you mix these two people together. You've got these, these two races, these two ethnicities coming together with all of their historical understanding. How do you get along? Now you've suddenly been mashed together. I mean, the, the, the Jew, Jewish believers, before they came to faith, they weren't even supposed to have table fellowship with Gentiles. And now they're all mashed together in a church trying to get along and love one another. 
So how does that work? And, and what we'll see, interestingly, um, is how um, grace, uh, see, the, the race and the ethnic differences become the place where grace gets tested. See, the, the racial and ethnic differences become this, and we see that in our world too. This is the place where grace often gets tested. So um, some of the Jewish uh, teachers are going to come from Jerusalem, and they're going to they're ask that, that in addition to believing in Jesus, the Gentile Christians um, follow the, the law of Moses and even are circumcised. So I know it's always awkward when we talk about this because this is not like a topic of modern world, but it's in the Bible in a lot of places. And, and, and it just has to do with following the commandments of God. So they're going to come and they're going to say that this needs to happen in order for the Gentiles to really be Christian. So I hope that background helps you. Let's look at the, the actual text. Let me read it. Chapter 15, starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers and sisters. Now, you have to understand Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, it's always up because it, it's high on a mountain. And so even though it looks like they're on the map, they were coming the other way, they're going down. It's actually the other. It, you always say you go up to Jerusalem no matter where you are. So that's why they're saying it this way. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers and sisters, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas are the teachers at the church in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So that's the controversy. Do they need to be circumcised or not? Do they need to keep the law of Moses in all the ways that the Jews did or not? Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. They're in Jerusalem now. They're having this first council. Okay? And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So saying that, you know, we as Jews haven't been able to live out the law perfectly. Why are we going to place this on, on the Gentiles? It's always just by grace of God. It's by faith. So verse 11, and this is the key one if you're underlining verses. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Okay? And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David 
that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So it was foretold from way back that the Gentiles would be part of the church. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. And we're going to get into what this is about. This is about how they're going to live together. They're going to cooperate in unity. Okay, verse 20. We're going to get to that in a couple weeks. For now, we're going to focus on grace. Verse 21, for from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And we're going to stop there with the text, even that goes on all the way to verse 35. Because what I want to do today is, is, is begin the conversation to talk a little bit about cultivating an environment of grace. And what this passage is going to lead us to is cultivating an environment of grace and then figure out how to get along. That's the real message in these four weeks. Cultivate an environment of grace, figure out how to get along. And we're going to talk about that second one in the second two weeks. Um, but the first one we're going to talk about is, is grace. And what I want to really focus in on today with the time that we have is the importance of our own understanding of grace as individuals. Because if ultimately the goal is for the grace to, to be in us, but then to shine through us to others, it really has to, we have to get it first. We got to understand the grace first. And then the grace can go from us to cultivate a community. And I think for a lot of us, we still have some work to do in allowing the power of the grace of God really to penetrate our own hearts and to do its healing work. Once it does that, then it can start to do its healing work uh, outward. Uh, and then we can start to then have real conversations from a place of, of security in the Lord about how do we deal with our differences? How do we get along with our differences? So the whole incident here in Acts 15 is about protecting the anchor of grace in the church. That's what verse 11, that statement is so powerful in verse 11. Grace is perhaps the core tenet of the Christian faith. Um, it's kind of a bad news, good news thing. Um, you know, grace assumes that there is a God, of course, that he has standards for life, and that we as human beings, none of us, except for Jesus, meet those standards. And just kind of an aside, even me saying that, I realize is a bit offensive in our world today. And for some of you, it might be kind of offensive. Um, because we tend now to derive our standards almost entirely from within. So we find it offensive when somebody comes along from the outside and says, this is what right and wrong are. Because right? we, we want to be the definers of what is right and wrong. Uh, and so I, I get that. Um, but this is what the Bible teaches. It teaches that there is a standard out there, that God has made a standard, and that it applies to all human beings and that we all fall, fall short of it. And, and second, it's also very problematic, and we don't have time to get into it, but when everybody is just deriving their standards for life internally, it becomes kind of a mess. And there's a lot of harm that happens even to the, the individual in that. So... Um, again, we don't have time to get into that. Um, so the bad news is that there's a standard that we don't meet. And the worst news is that sin results, that, that not meeting the standard results in ultimately separation from God. Heaven is, is, is a place that's free from sin. That's what we would want. And that's where heaven is, is most, God is most fully manifest in heaven. That's what heaven is. It's the, 
It's the presence of God. So we don't want there to be sin in heaven. It's just logical. You, don't, you, you want God to separate from sin. But that means if we're sinners, then we're separated from God. That's the bad news, that we're separated from God because of sin. And the good news, the grace news, is that God's made a way in Jesus Christ. He entered our world as one of us and showed us what obedience looks, looks like to the law, and then sacrificed himself to be an atonement for our sin, an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's what the good news is, is that God took onto himself in the person of Jesus Christ what we couldn't do, to, to make a way for us back to God. And if we want to embrace that way, the Bible teaches us that we do so when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the appropriate response. So Tim Keller says it like this. I, I've been wrestling with this phrase. Um, we'll put it up here. It says, you are uh, more wicked than you ever dared to believe, and yet you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared to hope. That's the good news of the gospel. That in the midst of all of your brokenness and sin and failure and mine, there is the hope of reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. And that is the anchor of Christianity. Without it, we have no faith. We, have, we don't have a faith. We don't have Christianity without grace. We only have bad news, okay, without grace. We have no reconciliation with God. We have no hope. We have no power because the power of transformation is located in, in the gospel of grace. Um, we don't have any freedom, ultimately, because sin is enslavement. So if we don't have grace, we're enslaved, and we, we live on in that enslavement. Um, we don't have uh, joy, ultimately, because our ultimate joy is to be in relationship with God. And so because that can't happen freely, we don't have joy. Um, love doesn't ultimately triumph in the way that it does with grace. Um, C.S. Lewis was famously said that he walked into a room, and there's a bunch of people debating different religions. And they said, and, he, and they were asking, what's, what's unique about Christianity? And when he heard the debate, without missing a beat, he, he said, grace. Grace. That's what's unique. So this is the very core. This is the anchor. Grace is the anchor of our faith, the forgiveness of sins is the anchor of our faith. And it's around this same time of Acts 15 that Paul writes the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, he show, shows some of the strongest emotions of all. Paul does, the apostle. Why? Because he's trying to protect the anchor that grace is in the church community. And so he says these powerful things. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 6, and we can put it up there. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, the non-grace gospel. Not that there is another one. I mean, if there were one, there's not one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Same, same thing was happening there as is being talked about in Acts 15. I'm going I'm to stop there just to save time. But then in, in chapter 3, he says this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And Paul's not judging the Galatians in these texts. He's pleading that they don't leave the very life source of the faith, which is grace. 
It's the very life source of all that Jesus is doing and, and, and all that we believe. It's the very center. Grace is at the gospel of grace, as it says there. Is at the very center of what we believe. And there's all kinds of ways, very sometimes insidious ways that grace can be threatened in a community or in our own lives. And so we have to be vigilant constantly to be called back again and again to the power of grace, to the centrality of grace. And what's happening in, in Antioch and, and what the debate is about in Antioch is that there, these, these teachers are coming and they're trying to say it's grace and. This is one of the famous heresies of Christianity is to say it's grace and. God forgives you and it's free if you do this also. Okay? Grace and. And they were saying, follow the law, be circumcised. So grace and. But how many different ways can we, can we, can we add to grace, right? Think about it. Just think about all the ways. And, and as human beings, we're bent towards this kind of um, law legalism. And so we're, we're constantly tempted to add to the gospel grace and to be right, right with God. Um, and, and what is happening in, in Acts here is, is the council is affirming the vastness of the scope of grace, that grace alone is sufficient to restore us to right relationship with God. Grace alone is sufficient to restore us to right, right relationship with God. That's, it's, that message is being threatened. Grace, but then you've got to do some things to really be good with God. And they're saying, no, we're going to put a stake in the ground. It's grace alone. Grace is sufficient. When Jody and I got a few days away over our break, uh, just the two of us, and we were staying at this Airbnb, and, and they had these really cool coffee mugs that were glass. And I would, I would make my coffee, and then I would pour the cream. I, I really like to have cream in the coffee. This is a really important part of the morning, uh, pouring the cream into the coffee. And it was so cool because there was kind of a curve to it. And you could see the cream go down, and it would sort of spin around in the bottom of the mug sometimes. And then it would just sort of sit there. And if you looked at the top of the mug, it was still black coffee kind of. But you could see something down below. But then because the, the, the cream hadn't sort of gotten, it hadn't permeated, it hadn't circulated in the mug. Right? And so you, then you, well, I, I was on vacation, so I just sat there and waited, you know, <laughs> for it to permeate. But in my normal life, I would get a spoon out and stir it up so that it would, it would permeate, it would circulate within the entire cup, right? And somehow this image is coming to my mind when I think about grace that God has dropped this beautiful thing into the community, into humanity, into the community of the church. And it, it drops in, but then sometimes it doesn't fully circulate and touch all the, the parts. So there's still some, some parts that haven't been blessed with the cream yet of grace. So we have this joy of 
stirring things up. And that's what's happening at the council. They're basically sort of stirring up the cup, saying, look, grace hasn't permeated everybody yet. So let's, and it's, it's uncomfortable to have conflict like they're having. But what, what God is doing in that conflict is he's stirring up the cup and getting the grace, the, the scope of the grace, the circulation of the grace to permeate every aspect because there's a place where it's missed because these teachers are saying it's grace and. And so something is, and so, so the, the grace is being spread thoroughly as they have this conversation. And that process needs to take place in every community as we do life together because it's, con- it's continuous that there are these places. And it's not just within the community. It's in our own lives. It's in our own lives. There are places that need to be stirred up so the grace can circulate and touch us in the, the deep parts of, of the cup of who we are. So I want to ask us, start with a kind of a personal application, finish with a kind of a personal application. And that is, has, has grace circulated in you? I want to say fully, but I know that probably in this life, it's going to be an ongoing process all the way till we die, right? But has, is grace, is the grace of God circulating in the cup that is you? in all the the facets of who you are. Because you can't can't give what you don't have. See, that's the thing. And if we're going to be a community where we're cultivating an environment of grace, the the first step is for us to have the grace in us, to understand it, to know it. And I've been thinking about, you know, the land that we are in, and I want to speak to some of you, um, and this may not be the case for, for some of you, but I think uh, for some of you it is, and this is a very personal application. I want to speak to your internal judge this morning, your internal critic. Because if you don't get grace inside of who you are, if it doesn't work in you, then it's going to be really hard to show grace to people on the outside of you. And I would submit to you that we're kind of in the land of the internal critic. Um, people who have allowed internal critics, you know, their, their own voice is judging them on their actions very regularly and very strongly. Those are the people, in my experience, who often accomplish uh, some great things. Because the internal critic is a strong slave driver, Right? And we live under uh, the slave driver. And so we work hard to meet the demands of the slave driver. But at some point in life, that dynamic within a person can become very destructive. Destructive not only to us, but to the people around us. Because as much as I come under the gaze of my own internal critic, to the extent that I allow that to to happen, I also place the people around me in the white-hot heat 
light of my internal critic, right? So if I don't get the grace in here for me, then it's going to be hard for me to extend that to the people around me. Think about your workplace. Think about your student friends. Think about your family. Think, if you're a parent, think about your parenting. Okay? So there's two ways to live with the internal critic. Either you can tell the critic you're wrong and try to justify yourself that actually what you did was, was fine and it was okay. And then usually what happens is you also then start to work really even that much harder to try and meet the demands of the internal critic. Okay? That's one way. That's exhausting. It's exhausting to either try to justify yourself all the time when you hear the voice of the internal critic or to try and meet the demands of the critic, which you never will. And so it's impossible. And by the way, I think this is why a lot of people don't want to hear about the, the laws of God. Because the internal critic is already so overwhelming that when you add to that the laws of God. Now, the, the, the fact is that the laws of God are written in our hearts. So the internal critic is oftentimes saying things that have been written on our heart because the laws of God are on our heart. So it's, it gets really kind of complex here. But sometimes we want to deny... We want to deny God's law because we, don't, we can't handle the possibility that there might be more ways to fail than we're already failing. So one way is you can try to justify yourself to the critic. Um, you, can try to ju- you can try to meet the demands. Okay? Some, some of us have achieved, some of you all have achieved amazing things meeting the demands of the internal critic but you're still suffering. You're still hurting on the inside. The other way is you could have somebody with more authority counter the internal critic. You could have somebody with more authority say something to the internal critic that is more true, more accurate, more powerful, more defining than what the internal critic says. And that's the gospel. Because Jesus comes in and says, yeah, you failed in all those ways. Yes, you did. And it's, it's not good. You're right, it's not good. That, that feeling, that, that conviction that you feel is, is right. But guess what? I forgive you. And I just want to remind us all that the voice of the creator of the universe is more powerful than our own. So, so if he says, I forgive you, then we really ought to get on board and forgive ourselves. Amen. Allow ourselves to be forgiven. Hmm? That's what happens when grace gets inside of you and gets stirred up to all the places where there's, where there's pain. And it starts to, to bring freedom. And, and that process is so important to what happens next as we think about creating a, a, a community that is grace-oriented. It's got to, you can't give away most of the time. You can't give away what you haven't received. You can't give away what you haven't received. So just that's the one message for today as we start on this journey is 
to receive grace. That's my message today. Receive the grace of God over your life in all the nooks and crannies. And I know a lot of us say, oh yeah, I get the grace of God. But then day to day we live and we're just, it's like this, the inter- you know what I mean? The judgment, the demands are just nonstop. And we never think to say, oh, I'm forgiven. We never think to say, Jesus, address that. So God, would you help us? Would you help us as we embark on this journey together of becoming more and more a grace-filled community? Lord, what a, what, a, what a gift that we first get to drink of the well of grace. So good. So this week, I know, I know there's a bunch of us in here who've got an internal critic who is loud and proud and speaking constantly, and we can't get out from under the sense of condemnation that we feel each and every day. Against that, you, the maker of this world and the redeemer of this world, have said, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's a strong counter-message. And so we're asking this morning, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would send it deep into our souls, into the, the corners and the crevices and the dark places of our hearts, the message of your grace, that it would do its circulating work. It would spread and bring the freedom and the joy that always accompanies the goodness of grace. Help us to live in that place, to learn to live there more. And then from there we look forward to reflecting you as bearers of grace who show grace to one another, which we'll talk about next week. Lord, only you can do these things. We can talk about it. We can repeat your scriptures, and and that's great, but we need you desperately this week to help us. This is just the start of the sermon this week, which is going to be lived out in our lives as you, by the power of your Spirit, work in us and through us. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.